book of Acts chapter 8. And in doing so, I want to echo a part of the testimony of Brother uh, Travis. And um, it's just kind of, I love how God works and how God puts things together. And um, there was a couple of, uh, of unexpected expense items that was going to come up on our uh, parking lot. The one of them was when, when they poured, we didn't take into account that there would be that gap in between the, the, the blacktop and the concrete. And, um, and so, you know, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do and, and what kind of cost it would be. But uh, just so happened this new company that Brother Travis works for happens to do asphalt for a living. And, uh, and so they were able to, they were doing a big project up at Walmart at Troy. And they said, well, tell you what, why don't we just make sure we order a little extra asphalt, keep it on the truck. And when we come home in the afternoon, we'll just stop by and patch that. And so they took care of that. And then we need some dirt. And so they are uh, bringing dirt hopefully this next week or so. So sometimes God just knows even what the church needs while he blesses other people uh, in that. And I, I'll just tell you right now, when God blesses you, uh, usually he blesses you not just because you need blessing, but he knows what you're able to do with that blessing. And uh, whether it's supporting the church or whether it's touching the hearts of somebody else, it's that giving. When God gives you, you just keep giving. And the more you give, the more you, you invest in others, God just kind of keeps reciprocating that. Hallelujah. Um, tonight, I, I'm going to just I'm gonna tell you about three different stories in the Bible. And they all have one point, and then we're going to wrap it up. And so uh, I, I'm going to just kind of make sure you get the point. Is that all right? Just kind of saturate you and uh, until you go, okay, Pastor, I think I get it. And then we're going to go for there. Um, I, I want to just, because I, I want to tell you the story. I don't want to just read it all too. But what I'd like you to do is just to look at, at Acts chapter 8 and verse 17. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God might be purchased with money. I don't have a good title. I'll let the media team come up with that. But I want to just preach to you for a little bit that what God wants to do through you only comes one way, and that's through a relationship with him and no other way. There's not a shortcut to the things of God. Why don't you just ask the Lord to let his word speak to you right now. Father, we thank you, and we give you glory and honor. And I pray right now through your word that you would show us through the, the history and the birth of this new church in the book of Acts, let us see what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, yeah, you may be seated, sorry. The book of Acts. Uh, it is the, the history of the church. And, and in that one book, and it's, it's a book that, that, to be honest, was left unfinished. But that book begins to tell us what all happened. If you begin to start the book, of course, the book of Acts was written by Luke, the physician, the same one that wrote the gospel that bears his name. But you can find out that when they left out just, honestly, if you want to read the book of Acts, you need to read the book of Luke first. Read the book of Luke, and as soon as you get to the end of Luke, skip John for the moment, and just start straight in the book of Acts, because they go together. 
It's like the sequel, if you will. In fact, I, I'm convinced that, that Luke finished writing the Gospel of Luke and did not even put his pen down and just started right there because this is what he says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then he goes on to tell you a little bit about what was happening. And then all of a sudden he says this. He says uh, in verse 6, So when they had come together... They, the apostles, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus looked at them and said, it's not for you to know the times or the days or the seasons. But, so, so you don't know when everything's going to happen. But, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost parts. Or as one translation says, to the ends of the earth. That was the promise that God gave. The Holy Ghost falls in the book of Acts. What an incredible uh, experience that must have been when God says, all of that that I promised you now comes to pass. Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one mind, one place, one mind, one accord. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. They were waiting for that promise and God gave it to them. Now I, I just have to put myself in their shoes. Because the more I read the Bible, the more you begin to see how everything fits together. That's why I've been trying, you know, we're doing Exploring God's Word. And uh, I, I told you uh, last, last year, last fall, I took a class at Urshan College uh, uh, and, and it was at the graduate school and it was an overview, foundation of the Old Testament taught by uh, Dr. Uh, Dan Seagraves. And so I, I decided what I was going to do because part of that class requirement was to read the Old Testament. Now I was reading the Bible, and, but, but you, he said you can't, you can't have said I read it earlier. You have to start it in class. So we had you know, a semester. You had to read the Old Testament. So I bought a new Bible. And I bought, and, and you've heard me talk about it, I bought my, my, this English, English Standard Bible and it has great big old wide margins. And man, when Brother Seagraves would teach that class, and, and he's written a book on uh, how you can see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. And, and so man, he is teaching and, and, and I'm writing down and it's awesome to watch it open up and unfold. I'm not exactly sure I was going with that, Brother Harpole. You ever had those moments? You start somewhere and it just kind of, you get all excited. Because the Word of God fits together so beautifully. And so it was that I'm convinced that Peter, he, he would have heard the words of Jesus. In fact, if you really want an interesting study, go look at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And watch how much of Peter's sermon was a direct quote or a direct inference from an Old Testament passage of Scripture. Because guess what? When Peter preached, he didn't have any New Testament. None of the Gospels had yet been written. None of the epistles had yet been written. And so Peter began to pull, and it was making sense to Peter. Have you ever had a moment in your life where, where, where something begins to unfold, and, and, and it just kind of the light bulb goes off, and you begin to go, okay, I get it. That's how it all fits together. That's what they meant when they said this. Anybody ever had one of those moments? How about, how about as you grow up, and, and I'm talking about no matter what age you are, how about when you grow up you realize your mom and dad were right? Come on, you can be honest with that. All right, Zane, you can raise your hand. It'll be okay. It's going to happen one of these days. But I, I get that moment where you're like, that's what it meant. And I can just see Peter. He's in the upper room, 
and he, he had wailed and travailed. He, he, he had been forgiven by, by Jesus for his, his denying of him. And, and now Jesus is gone and, and Jesus and the angels said go to Jerusalem and tarry until that Holy Ghost power comes on you. And so Peter does the only thing he knows to do. Obey and follow the words of God. He goes and he kneels down. I don't know what all they did in that upper room. I don't know if they if they knelt and prayed. I don't know if they sung songs. We don't know a lot. We don't even know exactly how long they were there. But all of the sudden, the walls of that place began to shake and the power of God came down and they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it was like fire set upon them. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter, I I can just see it. I don't have Bible for this, but I know how it was for me. Can you imagine Peter who had walked with God, who had walked with him. Peter had walked on water with him. When that happened, Peter knew immediately, this is that. Not only is it this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, but this is that that Jesus kept saying. He said, I have to go, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you the comforter whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus said, I will come to you. Jesus said, I will endue you with power. And I can see Peter, he's getting all excited. This is that that Jesus talked about. And he steps out onto that upper room balcony. And there are 3,000 or some odd people are gathered. They think they're drunk. They think they're crazy. They think they're holy rollers. And Peter begins to preach. That's not how the story ends. It just kind of goes from that moment to Peter in, 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 in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple. It's about the ninth hour of the day. And there as they walk a lame man by that gate called Beautiful Lays. He's laid there for years. It's the normal thing that he does. People are going to come in. People are going to have money in their pockets. They're going to give to the temple. They're going to put some in the offering plate. They'll probably have a little bit extra for me. And so he sees Peter and John walking, and he does his little beggar spiel. Alms? Alms? Do you have anything you can spare? And Peter looked at him being filled with the Holy Ghost. He says this. He says, I don't have any silver and gold. And in fact, if I had silver and gold, it might bless you right now, but I've got something greater. I don't have any silver and gold, but what I have is this. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Immediately, that man leaped to his feet. His feet and his ankle bones began to have strength. And the Bible says he went leaping and running and jumping into the temple. Now, that, that, that's amazing in and of itself. First off, I, I don't have time to go into all this, but it was far more than just Peter's words. There had to be some faith on that young man's part there at the temple that when, G, when, when Peter said, rise and walk, he just jumped up. I, this is free but can I tell you the moment that the miracle happened is not just because the preacher preached about it but it's because the one who was afflicted said whatever Jesus says I'm gonna do faith needs to start in the pew long before the preacher starts preaching if you want a revival in your spirit in your life if you need a healing let the faith be God when you say it I'm gonna do it The problem is, not everybody was ready for this. And so in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, 
they kind of grab hold of, of, of Peter and, and John and they bring him before the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. And I love the, the and again, I'm, I'm just trying to show you, I love the English Standard Version. It's what I've been using. When I fill this Bible up with my notes, I'll buy a new Bible and I'll start filling that one up and I'll go somewhere else to, the, you know, to another version maybe. But I love what it says. It says, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Sometimes when God starts moving, it tends to annoy some. That's all right. They, they brought Peter and, Jan, and John into their midst. And, and, and the Bible says that at this point, there were so many that had heard the word that it was almost 5,000 people. The book of, 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 of Acts chapter 2 says 3,000 about were added to the church. Now the number is up to 5,000. It is moving. It is growing. Ananias, or Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, all that were in the high priest family, they put them in the midst and they look at them and they said, we don't understand. Well, first off, the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they were a group, let, let, let's say they were the theologians, for just lack of a good word, they were the theologians. And, and they were the ones that thought they had it all figured out about God and, and the theology, the study of God. The Pharisees, they were the preachers. The Pharisees were the preachers. And, and you know all the problems Jesus had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees liked to preach, but they didn't like to follow what they preached. So they were kind of hypocrites. But the Sadducees, they were the, they were the thinkers. They were the, the theologians. And, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believed that once you died, you died. There's nothing else that had happened. And, and so it's kind of hard to do a study of God and not believe that God can raise from the dead because the Old Testament's full of it but whatever. So they didn't believe it, so they're already kind of messed up on their theology. And they ask, because you cannot deny the guy that's laid out in the, in, in, in the temple gate, you can't deny that he's now running and jumping and causing a scene in the temple. Now maybe, maybe, they could say, well, you've been faking it. But what idiot's going to fake being lame for 30 years or however long it was? I mean, it wasn't real hard to, to fi figure out if he's faking or not. They can't deny it. So they ask him this. They said, we, we're really confused. We see the miracle. So what magic did you conjure up? Now, I want you to realize the, 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 just the, the irony, the craziness of this. Those who said we are of God's chosen people, the, the Jews, said by what magic, by what name, by what power did you do this? Because the Sadducees and the Pharisees had never been able to do this. They, they, they found themselves in a dead religion. A religion that had no power. A religion that had no uh, authority to do anything anymore. You could just come to church and you might feel good. But nothing ever changed. You can have a... A, a look of the power. You can, you can look holy. You can look uh, godly. But you deny the power thereof. So Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, rulers and elders, if we're being examined, if you really want to cross-examine us, if you really want to put us through the ringer by what means this good deed done to a crippled man, and you want to know how it is, so let it be known to you and let it be known to all the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead. It's by him, by Jesus, that this man is standing before you well. Now think about that for a moment. They, he, he just said, well, it's because I said in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. 
So, so remember that. Now we get to the book of Acts chapter 8. There in the book of, of Acts chapter 8, this is right after uh, 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 Stephen was martyred. And, and so now great persecution is beginning to come to the church. Saul, who we know as Paul, was standing there holding the coats and Saul goes and gets letters and he's breathing out slaughterings and there's a great persecution and because of that the church of the living God begins to scatter outside of Jerusalem. For a while it was just contained in Jerusalem. In fact, for a while they even worshipped with the Jews. They went to the temple and they worshipped but now persecution comes. But those that were scattered abroad, chapter 8, Verse 4, went everywhere preaching the word. Philip goes down into a city of Samaria. He preaches Christ to them. And the Bible says that the people with one accord listened and gave heed unto the things which Philip spoke. They heard and they saw the miracles that he did. These were the miracles. Unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of those that were possessed, those that were taken up with palsy, those that were lamed, they were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Because whenever God wants to bring a revival, there are miracle signs and wonders that follow the preaching of the word of God. So, so things are happening. They thought that all died out with Jesus. I mean, they saw Jesus break bread and feed thousands. They saw Jesus heal blinded eyes and open deaf ears and heal the leprosy. But now Jesus is gone. But those same miracles are happening. Why? Because Jesus told the disciples, greater things than I have even done, you're going to do in my name. So they go. And while they're doing all of that, they, uh, there was a certain man whose name was Simon. Before that, in that city of, of Samaria, he used sorcery. He bewitched the power, or bewitched the people of Samaria, giving him out that he was a great one. They, they, he, he knew exactly the tricks to do. He knew what it took to make it look like something was, was happening. And, and so they would watch Simon. In fact, from the littlest to the oldest, they would tell of Simon, he's a man with great power of God. And it all is because he bewitched them, the Bible said, with sorcery. But Philip comes and he begins to preach and he's doing the work and he's having all of that. He preaches the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And people begin to get baptized, men and women. The Bible says Simon even believed. The word of God got a hold of Simon. And so they're, they're being baptized and, and, and things are happening. Finally, some of the apostles in Jerusalem was hearing that there was a revival going on in Samaria. People are getting baptized. The Holy Ghost hasn't yet fallen. But, the, but, but they're getting baptized. And so Peter and John come down and they prayed. And the Bible says that when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And Simon, who believes a little bit, he, he, he likes what he's hearing. He sees that and he says, I want to buy that kind of power. Now, I want to just kind of put some things together. I wonder if Simon had heard about the man at the gate called Beautiful. I wonder if Simon might have even heard about how Peter stood up in front of all of them and said, you want to know how this guy was healed? It's by the name of Jesus. And Simon begins to think, hmm, that's a pretty good incantation. This old bippity-boppity-boop stuff and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and abracadabra that I've been doing, it looks good, but it's not really working. It's smoke and mirrors. But I keep hearing this Jesus name. So maybe I can buy the rights to use the name of Jesus and if I say it just right, I can do the same things that these apostles are doing. 
He says, give me the power. Simon says, your money's going to perish with thee because you think the gift of God is purchased with, mother, with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter because your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray to God that perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon heard it and says, pray for me that none of these things which you said have come upon me. Simon thought he could just say it and everything would be okay. I'm getting somewhere for a moment. Or what about Acts chapter 19? Acts chapter 19, the Bible says that Paul, now being filled with the Holy Ghost, see, God has wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. That Paul is is doing, it's where we get the practice of, of prayer cloths. We've got these prayer cloths right here, and, and uh, Sister Cunningham uh, made them for us, and, and we've had them, but it, in fact, on it, it even has a, a printout of, of Acts chapter 19, verse uh, 11 and 12. But this is what it says, that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now, let me tell you how it works. I remember my wife and I, we were, we were evangelists, we were young, and we went and we preached for Brother McCarty in Cornerstone. And I remember it vividly. We were preaching a children's revival, and, and, and I just felt so impressed that God wanted to do a miracle. And I didn't even know how to, I mean, here I am preaching to kids. I didn't even know exactly how to do it. And so we did some little lesson about what God can do. And at the end, I said, if you're in this building and you need a healing in your body, I want you to come up and, and we're going to have the kids pray for you. And, and so people began to come and we saw some incredible miracles that night. Just the power of God, these little children that had heard the word and they began to believe. But that night, there was a, a, a I think it was a, a child or a young person that was, was going through a stem cell transplant. Uh, they had cancer and different things that were happening. And someone said, can we please have these children pray over a handkerchief and we're going to take it to the hospital and give it to them. I said, well, that's biblical. Let's do it. Brother McCarty said, let's do it. They got a handkerchief or something and those kids prayed and they told me the next day, I forget who it was that called and told me, but they said they took that, that they were having horrible, this, this child was having horrible complications from the stem cell transplant. Just everything that was happening, it was rejecting it. Everything you can imagine that you could think about with those treatments was happening. But they said the moment that person came and gave that child, they just slipped it under that child's pillow and they said the church prayed for you and and, and when it did they said instantly all of those uh, uh, things stopped all of those those symptoms and and, and all of the, the side effects stopped now and this is what Paul did well here's the thing there were some that said well man that must be magical cloth that must be, a, you know, th- this is how it is. We can just get some oil and douse it on a handkerchief and we can take it and, and voila, it happens. In the book of, of Acts chapter 19, it says, and there were certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists. They were witchcraft. They were, they were, they were sorcerers. They took it upon themselves to call over those that had evil spirits. And this is what they said, and I want you to listen because this is where we start getting to where I want to talk about. They said, we adjure you, that means we command you, by Jesus. Okay, that sounds good, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the same thing that, that Peter said. It's a little bit of the same thing that Paul said. 
But here's the problem. They said, we command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, I got a little bit more I want to say, but this is, if you tune out, you can tune out after I say this, all right? If you don't want to listen to anything else to say, here, here it is. I got more I want to say. It's not about the name. It's not about the way you say it. It's not about the linen count on a handkerchief. It's not even about the way you pray. But if you're praying to a God that somebody else worships, if you don't have a relationship with him, I don't care how many times you pray it. I don't care how many times you go to your knees. It's not whom Paul preaches. But I will tell you the times that I've been able to pray, it's the one that has touched my body. It's the one that I know personally. It's the one that I've got a relationship with. The reason I can call on the name of Jesus is because I know him and he gave me permission. He gave me the ability. It's not something that I conjure up. The word, there is no mantra. There is no fancy way of saying it. It boils down to a relationship. That spirit grabbed hold of those seven sons of Sceva and they said, hey, the Jesus you're talking about, I know him. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. And Paul, I know him. Because Paul got knocked off of his horse on the road to Damascus. And God brought him to a person's house. And God filled him with the spirit. I know Paul, but who in the world are you? This secondhand knowledge ain't going to help you. In fact, that spirit jumped all over them, overcame them, prevailed them so much that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And the Bible says it was known to all of the Jews and the Greeks at Ephesus. Fear fell on them and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Many believed, many confessed and showed their deeds. In fact, many of them brought their books of witchcraft and burned them at one place. And they counted the price of those books and it was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of witchcraft oriented sorcery type books. People begin to realize there's a relationship that has to happen. Now, I, I don't YouTube and, and, the, and the internet and all that. It's kind of cool because you can see things you don't you know kind of go back and watch it. But America's Got Talent. The winner this year was a little I think twelve year old girl, ventriloquist. Anybody see Darcy? Kind of cool. I love ventriloquism. And and at the at the at the finale, I saw it at that finale. They connected her with Terry Fader, who won, I think, the, the second season, and he's a ventriloquist. And they got to do a little song. Anybody remember the song? Anything you can do, I can do better. You ever heard that song? Anything you can do, I can do You know, sometimes the devil, that's the song he thinks he can do. Anything you can do, I can do better. It reminds me of when Moses goes down, Exodus chapter 7. Moses goes down to Pharaoh's court and says, My God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs at his face and says, What God? Show me his power. And so Aaron throws down his rod and it turns into a snake. Janice and Jamboree's, uh, uh, Pharaoh's two magicians, says, Anything you can do, I can do better. And they throw down both their rods and they turn into snakes. And God, in his incredible sense of humor, says, go eat their snakes. The devil always likes to, to one-up or try to one-up God. And every time that there is a revival, every time there is a deep move of God, there will always be a counterfeit somewhere. 
But we have to be careful that we don't get sucked into the counterfeit and, de- and, and deny the power that God has in store. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 says that in the church that was there at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manin they've been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul Paul they ministered unto the Lord they fasted and the Holy Ghost said I want you to separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called And so they departed, being sent by the Holy Ghost, they departed and they sailed to Cyprus. And there they preached the word of God in the synagogues and the Jews. John was the minister there and and they began to work on that. They they were beginning to to take it and it, it 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 was looking good. But I want you to watch something. When they had gone through the isle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name. It was a, a derivative of, of, of uh, Joshua. So Jesus was a common name, but bar, when you see that, that suffix bar before, that means son of. That's why Jesus said when, when he changed Simon's name to Peter, he said Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. Barabbas that they released on, on, on that, that, that crucifixion, that that. that rioter named Barabbas, Bar-a-bus. But here it was the Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, they said. And, and there was a deputy of the country, there was a leader by the name of Sergius Paulius. He was a prudent man and he had called for Barnabas. He had called for Saul. He desired to hear the word of the Lord. God was doing some incredible things even in the, even in the, the, the government of this. Lemaeus the sorcerer, that's what his name meant by interpretation. He fought everything he could. He, he sought to turn that Sergius Paulus, that deputy from the faith. And, and he tried to undermine everything that Paul was saying. And so Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and he said, Oh, you're so full of subtleness and mischief. <laughs> you call yourself Bar-Jesus, but really you're a son of the devil. And so because of that, you're an enemy of righteousness. You're trying to pervert the ways of the Lord and you won't stop it. So behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. and You'll be blind not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went out seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when that deputy, Sergius Paulus, saw what had been done, he believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that this revival, the power and the healing and the miraculous miracles that God wants to do, there's no shortcut to them. You, you, you can call yourself Pentecostal all you want. You can say you're apostolic. You can pray those perfect prayers and know exactly how to use the name of Jesus. But until you get that relationship with Him, There's not a prayer you could pray that will ever make a difference. But let me remind you. John, I mentioned it earlier, John chapter 14. He said, the works that I do, you will do greater works than these. Because I go to my Father. 
And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's not a magic incantation. It's not about the use of the name. It's about the relationship you have with the one who bears that name. A quick cursory glance into the final passages of each of the Gospels will say something something like this. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we know that name is Jesus. Teaching them to observe all the things which I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. That's the great commission. Go to the book of Mark and go to chapter 16 and look what the last words say there. And it says that he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I'm not advocating we go catch a bunch of snakes and start using them in church. But Paul showed us what that verse meant. When he's shipwrecked and he goes and makes that fire and that snake latches out on him and everybody recoils and they're just counting down to when Paul's going to hit the dust. He just shakes it off because Paul remembered what the apostles had told him in that last time that says even though some bad things might come in my name. Book of Luke chapter 24 says that, that repentance and remissions of sin might be preached in my name among all nations in Jerusalem. Your witnesses. So I send the promise of my Father upon you. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. John takes us there. Acts begins to go there. All of that is there. How does it happen? It's not the use of the name. It's your relationship with Him. Would you stand with me? There's so many different verses I could begin to use. I could, I could pile them up until you crumble between the weight of the verses. But let me just take you to the book of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and the law of death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but those that are after the Spirit they crave, they follow, they mind the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity, it's an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If it be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, and if any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, 
then your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but we are debtors to live after the flesh. And if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But through the Spirit, if you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And here it is. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So be that if we suffer with Him, we might also be glorified together. Hey, Bar-Jesus, you thought you could have a lot of power in what you were doing. You wore that name proudly, Son of Jesus. But I stand here today to say something completely different. I am the Son of my Heavenly Father. I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but we have that privilege to say, I'm a Son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm not saying I'm like Christ, but I'm a Son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. I am able to call Him Abba Father because there is a relationship that I have with Him. And the more I walk with Him, the more I realize the privilege I have of when a need arises in my life, I can go boldly to the throne and I can cast my cares on Him because He careth for me. It's not... A magic word. It's not an incantation. It's not something that's protocol or form or or, or, or some sort of a, a rosary, if you will. None of that matters. What matters most is my relationship with Him. And when you walk with Him, you are able to say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have give I to thee in the name of Jesus that same name that I went under the water in and when I came up out of the water brother Bob I felt clean my sins were washed away the same God that dwells inside of me is the same God that I can bring into your presence today in the name of Jesus rise and walk the story is said of someone that was visiting the Vatican They were walking through room after room after room after room of priceless treasure. All of the the, the, the incredible sculptures of the Renaissance artists and the the paintings and all of the incredible just just array of wealth. And the, The guy there told the tour group, he said, as you can tell, the church is being prosperous. We no longer have to say silver and gold have I none say at the back of that tour group someone piped up and said yeah but neither can you say in the name of Jesus rise and walk what I'm trying to tell you right now is you can't buy this you can't fabricate it you can't find a shortcut around it but oh when you walk with him there's nothing like it when you walk with him and you're led by his spirit and he leads and guides you in all righteousness you begin to realize you can walk up to your neighbor who's going through a trial in their life and say let me pray for you and that same power that dwells in you 
is able to walk into your neighbor's room and able to walk into your neighbor's living room and God is going to be there just as he was when you received the Holy Ghost because you have a relationship with him. I've come to just encourage somebody right now. First off, you need to make sure you're walking with him. You're being led by Him. You're walking not by faith, or, or walk, not by sight, but you're walking by faith. You're not walking after the flesh. You're not following after the, the leading of your flesh and your carnal nature. But you're saying, Lord, where you lead, I will follow. And if you will do that, then everything He promised will fall into place. I'm thankful for this, this month of October. And it's almost done, but, but your prayers and your fast. And that matters. It, it, we have seen an incredible difference. But you can pray all you want. You can fast all you want. But if you don't walk with Him, you're wasting a good meal and you're wasting a good time that you could do anything else. But when you kneel down to pray, having walked with Him, there's a power that God wants to give you and a privilege to say in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. I want you to just begin to lift your hands. I'm going to open these altars. I want you just to make sure you're walking with Him because this community, your neighbor, your friend, the one you go to work with, they need some, some Peter. They need some, some John that can walk with them and say, hey, I, I know what you're going through and I don't know the answer. I, I can't you know, give you this. I can't give you that. But I do know one thing. I can pray for you because I've walked with Him today. I got up this morning, my friend, and, and he was right there. And I said, Lord, I love you. And I felt his presence when I got out of bed. And so I know he's here because I've followed him all the way to my work. I have followed him all the way to where you are. I can say in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Would you come in Jesus' name?